I want you to imagine that you knew a guy named Jim. Now, Jim is a fictional character, so if you think I'm picking on a Jim in the room, I promise I'm not. Imagine you knew a guy named Jim, and he lived in a nice, typical suburban neighborhood. And, you know, he was really blessed because when he bought his house, there was some unused flat land there. And Jim was a bit of a do-it-yourselfer. You know those people. They go on YouTube, and what do they do? They say, hey, I can fix a washer, I can fix a dryer, I don't need to call a, a technician, uh, I can do it myself. And so Jim was really excited because he looked at this nice plot of land behind himself and he thought, you know what I've always wanted? A swimming pool. And he started telling people this and they said, well, Jim, um, if you save up money, you can, you can certainly hire that or maybe you can do some sort of arrangement with the bank to get funding for your swimming pool. And Jim said, I have a better idea. I have a shovel in my garage. And, you know, it doesn't look that hard to see those people start to dig. So I'm going to save a couple thousands of dollars, and I'm going to start digging it myself. And so Jim got to work, and he went out, and his wife thought he was... Uh, she wasn't exactly sure what to think of it, so she reserved judgment. And he got, he got to work and started digging. And after the first day, he felt really good. And he dug a little bit of a hole in there in his backyard, and no one seemed to notice. And then this continued for a few days till eventually Jim had the size of a swimming pool hole, very shallow, in the back of his yard, and he started feeling really good. Now, you have to remember our friend Jim is not a real person, so we're not picking on anyone. And so his family began talking about this. And you know families. Families give just enough hope on bad ideas that we keep going, right? So about seven or eight of them said, Jim, this is a horrible idea, but two of them said, wow, I should have thought of that myself. That's like a brilliant idea. Like, that's like when I watch Shark Tank and they come up with these inventions that make millions and it's a common sense. Jim, you keep going. So Jim kept right on going until, you know, he had a, he had a neighbor named Steve. And um, we all have a neighbor like Steve, don't we? That neighbor who we sort of know not exactly our friend. And Steve said, you know, Jim, um, you abut my property, and I noticed you're digging. Do you get, like, zoning? Like, did you make this all official? And Jim said, oh, Steve, mind your own business. Like, this is not your issue. And so Steve went back to his home. But over the next few days, as Jim kept digging each day after work, he would faithfully go out there and dig his hole and get ready for his swimming pool. The neighbors started to talk, and it started to get pretty weird. And then he got an anonymous call and it said, hi, um, so you've had, one of your neighbors has complained and said that you're digging without calling dig safe and without getting any sort of zoning and you haven't run this by anyone, we need you to stop. And it kept going and going and going. And maybe it kept going to the point where Jim got lawsuits, maybe it got to the point where Jim hit a giant rock and didn't know what to do. But at some point, I would hope if Jim was a real person, he would have remembered this famous saying, nor would a wise man, seeing that he was in a hole, go to work and blindly dig it deeper. Jim isn't real, but all of us do this. We dig. What do we do? We say, I know that there's established routines. I know that there's established ways. I know that God has given us the Bible. I know that God has given us a way to live my life, but I know it better. I can live life my way. I can dig. I can try to do things with my own best thinking, and things will somehow manage 
to be better. The thing is, God has a plan and a design for living. Do we realize that? Sometimes we look at the Bible and we wonder, why isn't the Bible just the Gospels? Why isn't it just the stories of Jesus and that's kind of it? Wouldn't that be enough? But we have a, the majority of the Bible is not the Gospels. The majority of the Bible is all sorts of things like the Old Testament. And we start to wonder, what's the point of the Old Testament? In the Old Testament, one of the things we get is the law of Moses, the Mosaic law. And of course, as people who live under Jesus, what we know is that we're not necessarily bound to all of the Mosaic law, right? Did anyone do any sort of things with the, with the toes and the blood of the ram as we walked in here? Anything out of Leviticus? We didn't have that happen. Um, we probably don't even have the Ten Commandments on our fridge. But what does the Old Testament law teaches us? It shows us what's called the moral law. This is the heart of God revealed to all of us. Now, Jesus summed this up because it's not that we're bound to the law. We live under the gospel. But what we can see is the God's moral law was summed up by Jesus in two things. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and you shall Love your neighbor as yourself. This is really God's way for living. And so we dig every time we ignore, love the Lord my God with all my heart, love my neighbor as myself. And every time I think that I can live my life my way and it'll go better. Let me give you an example. Where are my grudge people at? Who here struggles with the grudge? You don't need to raise your hand. But many of us, we know Jesus tells us I need to forgive. How many times? Not seven times. He says 70 times seven. And we know that's metaphoric, that we want to just be always a people of forgiveness. But sometimes what we can say is, hey, I know a better way, so I dig, and I hold on to a grudge. Why do I hold on to the grudge? Out of principle. Because you don't understand. I'm in the right. I was okay in my marriage, right? You don't understand. My spouse was wrong, and so I'm just going to stand here and not move because I was right. That's digging. Sometimes we can look at it, we're coming to back to school. And we're going to have times, if you have children and if you have grandchildren, I'll speak directly to you. We can have times where we say, hey, I know best for my child. And we really don't. Because maybe my child is doing this and having this challenge here, and these people are willing to come help and give support. But if I just ignore and say, well... I'm going to ignore those services, or I'm going to ignore this strategy, or I'm going to ignore this, or you're telling me this at open house, but you're wrong, teacher. I know best for my child. Now, it can sound like something we won't do, but I'll tell you, I was a school teacher for many years. I saw a lot of digging, a lot of parents saying, hey, I know best for my child. We know part of the story, but part of what we do as parents is we gradually release. We say, hey, I love my child, and where I choose to have my child educated in that place, I have to accept the team. If that's in a homeschool team, that's in a homeschool team. If it's in a private school team, that's a private school, public school, etc. But just saying, I know a better way, I know best for my child when I don't, I start to get myself in trouble. There's young people in the room. Sometimes we treat dating like used car sales, don't we? Try before you buy, Right? And we really get ourselves into trouble because God has a plan and design for relationships. God, in the Old Testament, literally said, God looked at Adam and said he shouldn't be alone. But what we do is we say, I know a better way, rather than 
having Jesus at the center of our relationships and saying, wow, I have this opportunity to really live this wonderful life together. Let the Lord lead and bring us together. We say, I know a better way, and it gets us into trouble. And sometimes, of course, it works out and God redeems situations, but sometimes our I know a better way turns into what? A very toxic situation. Now, in the Old Testament here, we're in the book of Jeremiah. Who's enjoyed our Jeremiah series? Have we enjoyed it? It's been, it's been a little different. We're going to be for the next four weeks in September doing Jonah. So maybe you have a lot of experience with Jonah and you can say, wow, Jeremiah was kind of the wilderness, but Jonah, I know, he gets swallowed by a fish. That's the whole story, right? But regardless, we're in, the, we're in a series we're calling it Take the Next Step of Faith. And we're looking how faith is not a blind leap. Faith is a series of steps, often very boring steps. And faith is not digging. Faith is not saying, I know my way. I know how to make it better. Now, we're going to really wrap up our series on Jeremiah today by doing essentially a survey of the whole book and ending with a little of of chapter 38 that Austin read before. You're going to see two characters, and I want to make sure we clearly understand them. There's two central characters in the book that we're going to focus on. There's Jeremiah. He's a prophet. What is a prophet? This is review. Prophet foretells and foretells. That means a prophet foretells about the future, says, hey, God's going to have this for the people in the future. And a prophet also foretells, talk about right now. Jeremiah doesn't dig. He doesn't pick up his shovel. God puts him through a lot of situations And Jeremiah essentially just says, okay, Lord, I'm here to be your vessel. I'm here to follow your plan and purpose for my life. Doesn't mean his life is easy. It doesn't mean he financially prospers. He doesn't. He's the weeping prophet. But what he does do is he lives a faithful life. Now, it's hard sometimes to relate to Jeremiah because he's just like that Bible hero who does all the right stuff. I have a hard time relating to the guy who doesn't dig because I don't know if, I, if you're anything like me, I dig quite a bit. I have moments in my life, even as your pastor, where I think, hey, I know best, and I get to work, and I start digging, and that's what Zedekiah does. King Zedekiah, we're in the end of the kingdom of Israel has split into Israel and Judah. They're not divided Republicans, Democrats. They're divided into 12 ethnic tribes. Israel is the northern kingdom. It's now gone. We have a last kingdom. It's a small kingdom centered around the city of Jerusalem. Zedekiah is the last king of this place. And we're in approximately the last year for much of the book. What you're going to see is that Zedekiah digs and digs and digs and digs. Zedekiah's position is, hey, I'm going to dig. I'm going to act like I know best. Then what's going to happen is I'm going to try to control things. And then, when the mess comes, I'm going to deal with the mess, and I rinse and repeat. Jeremiah offers us a counterpoint to that. Here's what he says. He says, what I need to do is I need to not dig, accept life, and surrender to God. And that is our big idea today. Don't dig, but surrender to God. Now, here's the thing. I've lived in churches for almost my entire life now. I'm in my 30s. So often, I've heard a sermon where they say, surrender to God, surrender to God. And I've sat there and been like, that's fuzzy. I love the idea of surrendering to God. It sounds really good, right? To obey is better than sacrifice. Give your life to Jesus. These all sound really wonderful, and they're great. But sometimes we leave them really fuzzy, and we can't really get a clear idea of what does it mean to surrender to God. 
So I want to take digging and show you how there's three rules of digging, how they're in the book of Jeremiah, and how they show us what biblical surrender is. We're going to start with our first rule of digging. First rule of digging is this. If I'm digging a hole, I need to stop digging. Pretty simple idea, right? If I'm making a situation worse in my life, if things are going south in my marriage, if things are going south with my family and I'm just pushing my adult children away and they don't want to talk to me, what do I need to do? I need to start by stop digging. I need to start by just saying, okay, this isn't working. I need something different. This is the life story of Zedekiah. He could have done this and he almost does this. As we go through the whole book of Jeremiah, I want to show you how he digs and digs and digs and digs and digs. In the 21st chapter, he can't accept reality. So what happens in the 27th chapter, he gets a group of weasel leaders together. They're all kind of the would-be kings. You know those people. The people who always want to sell you something. They always have the deal that's going to change your life. And all the weasels, all the would-be kings and Zedekiah get together. And what do they do? They make the situation worse. And they tick off Babylon. Babylon is the big empire that's breathing down everyone's throat. That big angry group that everyone's living in fear. They have no control over, but they're looking at that and saying, oh man, Babylon is coming. We got to get all our little weasels together and we can figure out a solution. We got it covered. We got a deal. Then that doesn't work. So a false prophet comes by. And Jeremiah has been faithfully living his life trying to speak for God. You know, it's hard because what that meant in this time is the people had really made some bad choices. And so Jeremiah was saying a lot of, it's over, you need to surrender, there's going to be 70 years of really difficult stuff coming, it's going to be hard, we got to accept it. Do you think people like that message? They didn't at all. Now this false prophet comes by and he starts saying, life is great, in two years everything's going to work out and you're going to be amazing. Who do you think Zedekiah listened to? Not Jeremiah. But in two years, the false prophet was dead, and the situation got worse. But Zedekiah kept digging. And that took us to Jeremiah 32. This is what we dealt with last week, where Zedekiah throws Jeremiah in prison essentially for no reason. In Jeremiah 34, Zedekiah starts making social reforms, but then he chickens out, and he goes back to an authoritarian regime. Then finally we get to Jeremiah 37, right before this chapter that we read, and Zedekiah goes to Jeremiah for advice, and he's in a hole, and it looks like he stopped digging. But what does Zedekiah do? Ignores the advice. So then we come to here, and now once again, Zedekiah has a chance. Am I going to stop digging, or am I going to keep going? Zedekiah faces this choice. He's dug and dug and dug through his entire life, through his entire time as the king, and through his entire time in the book of Jeremiah. And he needs to realize, am I going to continue or am I going to stop digging? What he should have done is he should have gotten to the point where he dropped the shovel like Chuck Colson. Do you remember Chuck Colson? Chuck Colson was known as President Nixon's hatchet man in the Watergate scandal fiasco. What Chuck Colson said years later, looking back on the situation... He said, I learned one thing in Watergate. I was well-intentioned, but rationalized illegal behavior. You cannot live your life other than walking in the truth. So Chuck Colson had these wonderful ideas in his life, he thought, that were these big pie-in-the-sky ideas for how life should happen. 
and he dug to get there. He didn't trust God and surrender and say, we're going to have this be a, a time of prayer and a time of honesty and integrity. He made a lot of shady decisions and a lot of illegal activities to the point where he was sitting in a jail cell. And now he had a choice. Am I going to keep digging or am I going to stop digging? And Jesus met him in the jail cell. He gave his life to Jesus and he started surrendering his life. He stopped digging. And we now know Chuck Colson as one of the people who brought prison ministry to the forefront of the church. We do the same thing, my friends. Not that we maybe rationalize the bad behavior, but as we're digging, we start to rationalize difficult things that are cutting corners. Zedekiah was literally king of this. This was all in the interest of his country. And all these things you see over and over and over are just rationalizing bad behaviors. It's all digging. Here's my question for us. What bad behaviors am I rationalizing today? In my marriage, in my parenting, at my workplace, with my screen habits, with my finances. What am I saying? Hey, this is bad, but it's just part of life. It's complicated. I mentioned that last week I saw an article where it said for the first time, Americans have hit over a trillion dollars of credit card debt. Am I just going down that rabbit hole and rationalizing it? Where is God asking me to specifically drop the shovel in my life? Not that it'll all be fixed, but the shovel will be dropped and I won't be digging. Our first rule of digging is if I'm digging a hole, I need to stop digging. Now, that covers probably 99% of us. But for the 1% of us who's not currently digging, we have the second rule of digging. If I'm not digging, I shouldn't start. This is Jeremiah's life story. It's really interesting. He's kind of a Bible hero. And his only real flaw is that he's kind of a sad, depressed guy with big feelings who gets really upset. Do you notice that? The worst thing he does is he kind of cries for years on end. But other than that, he kind of trusts God. Look at his story in the book of Jeremiah in chapter 1. God says to him, hey, you're a, you're a young man, you're a teenager, I'm going to use you. He initially says, I'm too young. And it seems like he's going to pick up the shovel and start digging. But God says, you're not too young. He says, oh, you're right, God. And then he drops the shovel. Then a little bit later, what we see is that he starts to, in chapter 10, question God. Have we ever had this? We turn to God and we question, God, I, I don't get this. I'm not sure you're a loving, gracious God. I don't get this. And God responds to him and he says, oh, you're right, God. And he drops the shovel again. Then it continues. Chapter 16, God has a really unusual request for him. He says, Jeremiah, you can't get married and you can't have kids. And Jeremiah doesn't pick up the shovel. He says, that's weird, God, but okay, fine. I guess I will just serve you in my life. And he doesn't pick up the shovel. And we see this throughout the entire book. I can give you 15 more passages. We see times where he deals with arrest and being beaten. And we have all these times where he just doesn't pick up the shovel. Because if I'm not digging, I shouldn't start. Now, it's really hard in our day and age to find people who don't dig. Can we agree? Because we're in a culture not only of polarization and me focus. Sometimes we call our various generations the me generation. I've heard that applied to every generation, by the way, even the baby boomers. The baby boomers can be a me generation. All of us can. You often uh, use it for my generation, the millennials, the I generation, the me generation. But here's the thing. There are a few people who don't dig. Not very many. 
but they make a difference. I was sitting in the office this past, I think it was about a week ago, and we were sitting and we were trying to figure out if there's anyone who's not polarizing anymore, if there's anyone who just we all have in common, and we could only come up with one. Dolly Parton is the only person we all have in common anymore. She, in 1967, she put out a really popular album, and you know, for her whole life, she's just worked nine to five. In obscurity, in popularity, you know, she got married in 1966, and she's faithfully been with her husband in a Christian marriage the whole time. I'm not saying she's perfect, by the way. I'm saying she doesn't really dig. When we got through times like Vietnam in the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s, there were times where she could have really started digging and become a polarizing figure. She really didn't. She sang her songs. She contributed in various ways, and she was just Dolly Parton. To this day, the New York Times literally said this in a recent article. This is what the title was. Is there anything we can all agree on? Yes, Dolly Parton. Now, I'm not saying that she's perfect, because she's not. And I'm not saying that, I bet if you sleuthed and sleuthed and sleuthed, fine, we could find a misstep she's made, but so could each of us. The point isn't that any of us should be perfect. The point of it is we should try to imitate Jesus, accept the Holy Spirit's guiding in our life, and also just accept that we don't need to pick up the shovel. We don't need to say, I know better. We don't need to try to build some huge brand on social media by dunking on people and by getting in people's faces and being ridiculous. We're going to enter an election season where there's going to be a lot of opportunities for each of us to pick up that shovel, aren't there? Because we're going to have someone in our workplace come to us with a political view that not only do we disagree with, but in our own objective, subjective view, that's what I like to call it, None of us are really objective. Our objective, subjective view, that person is objectively wrong. And we're going to want to dig. And we're going to want to prove a point. And we're going to want to make a big issue. I invite you to not. Leave the shovel over there. You don't need the shovel. It's not going to help. You're not going to convince the person. I'm not going to convince the person. We can pray for people. We can be involved in things, but simply getting into dead-end arguments with someone where I have my view and they have their view what are we going to do? We're going to lose friendships and we're going to lose an opportunity to actually do things that matter. What does actually make a difference in someone's life? I'll give you something. Do you know a, a little old lady who's isolated? Pick up the phone and call her. I, I, I do this and people just like are so floored that you even think of them. And don't just let it be your pastor. You want to do something where instead of digging you actually make a difference? Go on your contact list today. Find someone who's isolated and call them with no agenda and say, I care about you. We don't need to dig. And that's what it means to surrender to God. It's not this fuzzy idea. It's tangible. It's there's a shovel. God has a plan and purpose for my life and a design. Where are the places in my life I have the potential to dig and make a big mess? Where are those places I don't need to do it? So there's our second rule of digging. And now I want to give you one more because there's always got to be hope because we gave you these two characters. Jeremiah seems like someone none of us can be like. And Zedekiah seems like we're a little too much like him. We're just digging and digging and digging. So what happens if I do put down the shovel? Rule number three, if I just stop digging, I now need to accept I'm in a hole. And this brings us to our passage today. I want to look at just a little bit of it as we are going through here. This is, our again, our final time in the book of Jeremiah. We've really enjoyed it. 
I want to read just a couple of verses. It's going to be an interchange between Zedekiah the king and between Jeremiah the prophet. Because Zedekiah has briefly stopped digging. He's come to Jeremiah. Now, he'll unfortunately pick up the shovel, but for a moment, he stopped digging, and we're going to see the hole that he is in. We're going to see the opportunity that in every hole any of us is in, if we've been digging, it doesn't matter. God can use the situation we're in for redemption if we let him, and if we accept the hole we're in. Let's look and see what it says here. Verse 17. Then Jeremiah said to Zedekiah, this is what the Lord God of heaven's armies, the God of Israel says, if you surrender to the Babylonian officers, you and your family will live and the city will not be burned down. So drop the shovel, Zedekiah, seriously. But if you refuse to surrender, you will not escape. This city will be handed over to the Babylonians and they will burn it to the ground. Now what we see here is a very clear glimpse Zedekiah appears to stop digging, and now he's got three things he's got to do. Number one, he needs to surrender. He's got to drop the shovel. Number two, he's got to accept Babylon. Babylon, as I explained before, was this ancient empire that's breathing down their throats and is eventually going to take people into captivity and destroy the city. Each of us has a Babylon in our life. Each of us has something big and massive that's completely outside of our control. One of the things we need to do is we need to not just surrender and drop the shovel, but in acknowledging that we're in a hole, acknowledge that there's a Babylon. Maybe we have something at work where we have a horrible boss that we have no control over and we didn't pick the person, we weren't on the hiring team, or maybe we even were, but it doesn't matter because the person is our boss now and we just got to deal with the fact that I can't get this person fired, I shouldn't try to get this person fired. And what I need to do is I need to accept the Babylon in my life. I need to pray for the situation. I need to slow down. And I need to accept that we are where we are. Those are the Babylons in our life. And then the other thing he says is, hey, you need to trust God. All three are simple and all three are hard. So I want to throw this graphic up and I want to ask you this. Am I surrendering my wants, my needs, and my habits and my priorities to God? I want to give you a phrase. Every day every way. Let's break it down. Every day means faith is not a Sunday thing. If you're involved in a small group on a Wednesday, it's not a Sunday and a Wednesday thing. Every day means seven days a week, seven days a week, every day. Then every way is that if I'm dropping the shovel and accepting any holes I'm in or not picking up the shovel, am I realizing that I worship God or not with my needs, my wants, my habits, and my priorities. I heard recently it was really helpful. The greatest gift you can give to God is understanding that your time and your finances either honor Him or honor everything else. Am I surrendering these things to God? Am I accepting my Babylons every day, every way? Are my actions demonstrating a trust for God? Not my thoughts, not my words, but my actions. Every day, every way. Let me tell you about a time I failed miserably in the hole I had to get out of. I fought for years. I used to be a teacher. This is years ago. I fought for years with a coworker, and I felt like I was totally justified. And at the time, I guess, I had convinced myself I was. I rationalized the bad behaviors, and so I dug and dug and dug. Eventually, my coworker, this person, lost their job. And do you think I felt any better? I actually didn't. 
Because I realized I was in a hole. Because I had fought with this person. I used to joke with a coworker, and I feel awful about it. I used to joke with a coworker that I was a dragon slayer and I was slaying the dragon with my coworker that was really difficult, objectively. Subjectively, objectively, right? And I felt like I was slaying the dragon. And then this person lost their job and I felt horrible. And I thought that like everything was going to be better. But the problem was is that instead of just accepting a Babylon temporarily in my life, what had I done? I had dug and dug and dug, and I was in a hole with my reputation, with my habits. At work, I was now a really gossipy coworker. I used to do secret meetings where we used to talk about the coworker that we didn't like. That's not God's plan for work. God's plan for work is do not, it shouldn't be you go to work, you have secret meetings, you talk bad about somebody, then they lose their job and you feel good because it doesn't work like that. So I had this major hole I had to deal with. And it took years. And we had to be intentional, my new coworkers and I at that point, about how do we build the right culture? How do we do the right thing? And the whole time I'm just realizing that I have sunk myself in a hole and God's got to redeem the hole and pull me out. What about for us? Are we finding that we've created holes because of digging? Have I created holes because of past and present digging? And am I willing to be honest about it? Do I have a hole that God is asking me to be dealing with right now? In my marriage, in my finances, in my workplace, with my screen habits? Where? are the holes that I've created that are my fault, the sin that I can be honest about and acknowledge in my life, the things where I've missed the mark and I've fallen short. And now am I willing to say to God, okay, God, I have holes because of my digging. I've acted like I know it the best. Our big idea is don't dig but surrender to God. Okay, I have dug. So now, Lord, will you help me with these holes? Because I want to invite a couple people down. We're, gonna, we're not going to bring the elders today. We're going to do something a little different. I'm going to invite a couple people who are going to hand out these little shovels. We have plastic shovels that are the size of keychains. I put them on mine. We bought 300 of them. Very inexpensive, everything you can get on the internet. What I want to tell you is this. There are three rules of digging. If I'm not digging, I need to stop digging. If I'm, if I'm digging, I need to stop digging. And you can come, come forward. If I'm digging a hole, I need to stop digging. If I'm not digging, I shouldn't start. And if I just stop digging, I need to accept I'm now in a hole. All of us is in one of these three places. I sat for an hour and tried to come up with scenarios where you wouldn't be. Every single one of us is in one of these three places. And we all get a shovel. Billy's going to play a couple songs. And we've got shovels for you. I want you to take it, put it on your keychain, and say, God... Where do I need to embrace biblical surrender today? Is it that I need to stop digging? Do I need to drop the shovel? Do I need to not start digging? Or do I just need to accept I'm in a hole and Lord, you need to pull me out of it? So I invite you to come down forward, grab your shovel, let's sing some songs, and let's start surrendering together to God.